on your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the 14th episode of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, we catch up with AFL reporter and female footballer Nat Edwards, coach of the Irish Banshees, Pat Levy, the West London Wildcats, Adele McCormack, plus our State League footy wrap with Lauren Hodgson. All of that plus a very special announcement coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Welcome to the 14th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, our third season overall. And a quick reminder that you can listen to this podcast as a radio program Wednesday evenings around about quarter past six on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne. Of course, you can download the podcast on Thursday mornings via SoundCloud or iTunes. Just search for Girls Play Footy. Now, before we speak with our first guest, I do have a very special announcement to make. Now, as some of you may be aware, uh, Girls Play Footy Radio's commentary team has been covering Victorian women's football for at least the last three seasons. We will be back again for a fourth season starting this weekend to cover the Victorian Football League women's competition. In the past, we've done one game per weekend, rarely two. I can tell you that this season we'll be covering at least two games per weekend. So one on Saturday, one on Sunday. Plus, not only will our calls be going out, as we always do via girlsplayfooty.com, but you'll be able to hear VFL women's football on this very channel from Saturday the 6th of May. That's right, on RSN Carnival, that's DAB Plus Digital Radio, you can hear the live call of the Victorian Football League Women's Competition. And what a way to start on Saturday, 6th of May, at Bill Laurie Oval in Northcote. It's the grand final rematch. We'll be bringing you from 1pm with a 2pm bounce down, Darabin versus Melbourne Uni. It was only a couple of kicks in it between these two sides on grand final day. There's almost 40 AFLW footballers that will be playing in this match, such as the quality of both these sides. And it's going to be a ripper. Join us Saturday from 1pm. And we back up Sunday, 7th of May, 1pm at Mulgrave Reserve, Wheelers Hill to bring you the sides that finished third and fourth respectively uh, last season, the Eastern Devils and the St Kilda Sharks. That game is also going to be another cracker and you'll be able to hear it live here on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne. And obviously, if you're not in Melbourne, don't worry about it. You can listen via the web by going to rsn.net.au and clicking on digital or you can download the RSN app from iTunes or Google Play and and when you download that app to your mobile phone or tablet, you just select the Carnival page within the app and you can stream VFL Women's Football Live. Hear the live call courtesy of the Girls Play Footy Radio commentary team. Okie dokie, that announcement done with. Let's get into our first guest. And we have got on the line a woman who's taken up playing footy again after, I think, a 17-year break. She's playing with old Camberwell. But most of you will know her as one of the co-hosts of Footy Feed on AFL.com.au. And as I like to say, she's the face of AFL Game Day on Channel 7. It's great to have on the line Nat Edwards. Nat, how are you? I'm good, Pete. I'm not sure I'm quite the face of AFL Game Day, but I'll take it anyway. Thanks for having me on. Uh, of course, there's Hamish, there's Daisy, there's a whole raft of them, but, you know, forget about them. It's all about the Nat Edwards show. It's great to have you on the line. Now, before we talk about, obviously, your role in the media and how you got there, everyone knows you as a face of uh, of AFL media, particularly with uh, footy feed on afl.com.au, but you've recently pulled on the football boots for the old Camberwell team in the VAFA. How on earth did that come about? 
I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Because I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I'm actually, I turned 30 last year, so I'm a bit of a veteran. But um, basically, my brother plays for Old Camberwell. Um, He went to Camberwell Grammar, and I've been around the club for quite a while and always been jealous of the boys playing footy. And uh, this year, when they announced they were going to have a women's side for the first time, I thought, oh, why not? Let's just give it a crack. and, yeah, that's sort of how it all came about. Went to trainings, uh, pre-season training, I think started in November, and uh, I just love having a kick of the footy. And I, and I have to say I'm just having the best time of my life at the moment playing footy. It is amazing fun, and I'm just loving every minute. So, yeah, that's how it all came about, a bit of a family connection, which is cool. Now, we'll touch on the Wellers in just a moment's time, but obviously there's been a lot of talk lately about uh, women in sports media and more and more of them coming through. Uh, for yourself, you've been in the, in the system for a while in the AFL. Where did that first originally start out? Yeah, so I was lucky enough. I studied journalism um, at RMIT Uni, um, and I was lucky enough when I graduated to sort of fall into a, a role at afl.com.au um, in its early days where the content was outsourced. So I worked for a company called Media Giants, and we did all the content for the AFL website. So I sort of fell into that role and um, worked in a lot of video side of things, um, not so much text, and then I sort of developed from there. And um, after three or four years there, I moved on to radio and uh, did a stint for a while at 1116 SEN, working in the newsroom there. And then I sort of came back to AFL Media once it was branded that way and um, back at afl.com.au. So it's sort of been a full circle over the last eight or so years, seven or eight years. So it's um, it's been really fun and, and I love footy, so I couldn't ask for a better job. Do you think the journey that you've had is ta- that's taken to you where you are now could have happened 10 years ago, particularly when, when you're in the industry at that stage? There's only the likes of Sam Lane, obviously, as we know, as the face of seven. There's Caroline Wilson at The Age. There was Tiffany Cherry that was about on Fox Footy, and, and that was about it. There was only a handful of names. Yeah, and look, it it is difficult and more difficult for women to sort of break in, but I think I came in at a really good time. Um, I guess, like at that time, afl.com.au were looking for a fresh female face um, to, I guess, put on their website and, and to develop their news video side of things and So that actually helped me. So being female singled me out, really. Um, They came to the university and said, we want um, a female presenter, a journalist who loves footy and knows her footy. Who have you got? And my name came up straight away. So I was really lucky in that sense. And I think now uh, a lot of employers and a lot of the media are trying to find women who love sport and who know sport um, and know footy. So I think now it's probably more of it of an advantage um, being a female in the industry, but it, it is still hard. Um, and I guess you get questioned sometimes your credibility is questioned on social media. A lot of people saying, oh, you've never played the game, so what would you know? You get things like that and you're judged on your appearance probably more harshly than others. But um, at the end of the day, I think there's plenty of room for women um, in the sports media industry. And I think certainly times are changing. So I'm very lucky to be working um, at this time now where, you know, really it, it's starting to open up for women. Jumping back to your involvement in football on the field, did you ever pick up the Sharon in your junior days? Yeah, I did. So 
oh, God, this is going back a long time and showing my age, but um, it was probably Vic Kick instead of Oz Kick back in the day. And um, when I was, you know, seven years old, I just wanted to play footy and um, I asked my dad if I could go play Vic Kick um, and I was the only girl at um, Ashburton. It was the Ashley Redbacks. Um, back then, that was my local club, and I went down and played big kick there. And because I was so small, and for those who haven't seen me, I'm only five foot two. Um, I had to play with boys that were a year or two younger than me. So I played footy up until about age twelve, and then I was basically told you can't play footy anymore with the boys. That's it. And I guess my parents never really explored. Um, any other options for me to continue playing footy uh, and I don't think there were a lot of options in our area where I grew up and I guess I just turned my focus to tennis which was my second sport so uh, yeah after age 12 I sort of hung up the footy boots so to speak but I always had a kick with my brother and, and mates at school and things like that and I was you know always running around with um, a footy in the backyard but uh, yeah it's been what, 17 years later, I'm actually living the dream and, and playing footy, which is phenomenal. I'm loving it. I guess when you think back then, particularly as you went through your teenage years, um, did you turn to football media as a case of, I still want to be involved in the game, this door, or this door of playing has been closed to me, I'm going to take the media option? Yeah, most certainly. And, you know, I was obsessed with football um, growing up. Um, I back for Hawthorne and that was because my prep teacher, Mrs McGuinness, um, her son Scott played for Hawthorne and he came in one day when I was in prep and just did handball drills and I just fell in love with the brown and gold um, and the rest is history. I, yeah, just love footy so much and I love stats and um, I used to cut out all the newspaper clippings of Hawthorne games and the stats and then I'd write a little match report and, and put it in a scrapbook. Um, so I was real nerdy like that. Uh, and, yeah, I just always loved watching footy and I guess when I finished school, I didn't know what I wanted to do and I started um, actually studying physiotherapy when I left year 12 and – that was because I love sports so much, but I only lasted a year and then decided if you love sports so much, you love footy, why not talk about it as a job or write about it for a living? Um, and that's when I decided to switch my focus to becoming a sports journalist and, um, and you know, talking and reporting and analysing the game that I just love so much. So it's I'm really lucky to be able to go to work every day and just talk about footy and watch footy, which is, you know, my life passion. So that's pretty amazing. One thing I'm interested to know about from your point of view is um, before AFLW, we've had over the last few years, since I think about 2013, we've had the AFL women's exhibition matches. So that's when women's football yep. started to be put into the spotlight. Um, but then we've seen the actual spike in team uh, registrations come along this year once AFLW was announced. For you personally, uh, why did you probably not pick up the footy over the last few years? Why was it till AFLW that the spark went, that's it, I'm doing it, I'm signing up? I think because, I mean, the exhibition matches were fantastic to watch, but it was just two teams and you were sort of thinking – you know, is it really possible? Is there the potential? And, and while it had triggered, you know, I guess um, a little bit of interest in my mind, for some reason it was just when the AFLW competition came in and there was so many women um, drafted and able to play and you saw the standard um, 
I don't know, something in me just clicked and I was like, and, and I saw women who were my age, 30-year-olds, even older, um, like you look at Kate Sheen, like playing and I'm like, I'm not too old. I can still do this. And I think for me it was always age was a barrier. Um, I thought I was too old to play footy at a competitive level and also through work and I play tennis still. I had so much going on. I was like, oh, can I make time for this? But I guess I just sort of thought, you know, you only live once and I'm not getting any younger. So if I'm going to play footy, I've probably only got a couple of years left in me. So why not just give it a crack? And I think seeing the AFLW competition and how well it was received, it just gave me the confidence um, to just say, hey, I'm going to do what I want to do and that's play footy. Did you always know that you were going to play for Old Camberwell in the VAFA? Because, again, mentioning that you're a Hawthorne fan, the Hawks did have that tryout day in November at Waverley for what is now the Box Hill Hawks. They did indeed, and I thought about that. But, you know, let's be honest, I'm not uh, at that standard. So um, for me, I think Old Camberwell, just the connection, having my brother there and knowing a few people around the club, um, my long-time tennis partner Louise is I convinced her as well to pull on the boots and she's an absolute jet so um, that was sort of easy for us to decide to play together and it's a local club Um, and yeah I just like the sort of you know I'm running around training and my brother's over the other side of the oval having a kick and and just that sort of family connection. So for me, it was a no-brainer. And, yeah, you know, um, I haven't played football in a while. So I think start small and, and see where it goes. Flashing back to, uh, I guess, my junior days, um, I remember opening up the local paper. And if you played footy, if you were named in the best, if you played cricket, if you scored a 30 or you got three wickets, you got that small little bit of print of your name in the paper in junior <laughs> cricket. Um, for you personally, when you look on the VAFA website, round two, Old Camberwell's had their first win, and there you are named as amongst the best players. What does that mean to you, particularly after being out of the game for 17 years? I'm not going to lie. I may have, like, screenshotted the website and then, like, highlighted my name and texted it to my husband and my brother and my mum and dad. <laughs> and I'd probably, you know, I'd stick it on the fridge if I'd printed it out. Look, I was so proud of myself and um, it's not something that I say easily. I don't want to sound up myself or anything, but, you know, just because I'd waited such a long time to actually play a game and um, I've enjoyed training so much and I love the girls that I play alongside, I've just had the best time. It was it was a nice moment to, I guess, be recognised for, for the hard work and, and also, you know, it kind of affirmed for myself that I wasn't a complete dad and that, you know, I was justifying my reasons for putting on the boots, I guess. So it was a really nice feeling. Um, it was great as well to get the first win. Uh, we probably hadn't prepared ourselves for a win, uh, given that in the first round against Old Geelong, we were absolutely smacked. So round two comes along. We surprised ourselves, had the win and didn't know all of the words to the club song. So it was very interesting in the rooms after the game. Um, we sort of knew a few words here and there. It's to the Sydney Swans theme song as well. So we kind of knew the tune, but, um, yeah, singing all the words, that's something we really need to work on. So we'll probably have to uh, study up a little bit for next time. Now, I'm obviously imagining most of the girls that are playing for old Camberwell are first-year players. Is that when reality smacks you in the face, that first wind of, oh, hey, this is happening, this is real? Yeah, it really did. And, you know, to be honest, there's our 
team is mixed. Um, there's some girls that have played before um, and some that have never picked up a footy before and had a kick. And the difference from like day one pre-season November to now is astonishing. The girls who haven't played before have picked up the skills amazingly well and girls who, you know, had a kick before um, have really improved as well. But the thing that I love the most about the girls at the Wellers is just that everyone has a crack and that's one thing, you know, you're not sure about, like what's the physicality of the game going to be like, but this game is physical and the girls just go out there, they have a crack, they're in and under, um, no one shies away from the contest and we, even though we lost in round one by God knows how many points, probably 80, 90 points, and we only scored one goal, and that was in the last 45 seconds. When my teammate L scored the goal, we pretty much chaired her off the ground, and everyone was so excited and so ecstatic. Um, and just the team spirit, despite the fact that we'd lost by so much, was incredible. And I think that's the great thing, is that everyone is just having so much fun out there. Um, and I'm a really competitive person. I'm the first to admit that. But, um, you know, just the mateship and, and just the fun that we're having out there means so much more than, than wins at this stage, although wins are really nice. <laughs> now, for you, like every other woman that's playing football, there's a lot of commitments to juggle. You probably even more so because not only does AFL news break during the week, most of the news itself happens on the weekend, putting on your AFL media hat as well as Channel 7 and other commitments. How do you balance it all and how accommodating have your employers been so you're able to live that dream and get out in the park and play amateur football? Yeah, look, it's been difficult. I'm actually working six days a week, technically, um, this year during footy season. Uh, and I've also, I play competition tennis on Saturday mornings. So um, it did mean that I had to miss uh, round three footy on the weekend. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to juggle a lot of things in my life. But, you know, work are really supportive. I think they have... Um, a really good understanding of a work-life balance and that everyone needs one. And um, I think if you work really hard and you make the commitment to your job, they see that and they're willing to be a little bit more flexible if they can to allow you to do these extracurricular activities. So work have been really supportive. They love asking me um, about footy on the weekends and they allow me to get away a little bit earlier Um on a Tuesdays and Thursdays so I can I can get to training and try and roster me so that I can play footy where I can. Um, so, yeah, look, it's a juggling act. Uh, it's not easy at times. And to make things probably a little bit more difficult, I'm going away on my honeymoon for six weeks <laughs> to Europe coming up. So um, this year was always, in terms of footy, was just, all right, let's give it a go, um, try and juggle as much as I can. But next year I'm going to um, – I'm going to give up tennis for a season, so I'm going to really commit to footy and and um, and really go hard at that next year. So yeah, work are really understanding, but you know, you just try and do everything. So there's not much spare time for anything else, really. Well, you did say the magic words. Europe, and there is, of course, footy in Europe. Sweden, Paris. Uh, there's the London competition. So you, you know, just just pack the footy boots just in case. 
Yeah, I know. And I have to stay fit as well because I'm like, oh, I'm going to miss six weeks and, you know, the fitness is going to drop off. So I'm going to have to go for some runs. I'm going to bring a Sharon with me anyway and uh, have a kick with my husband. He's been really good, like coaching me um, on the sidelines and uh, doing some extra training sessions with me to get my kicking um, a little bit better. So, yeah, no, we'll, uh, we'll make sure that we maybe can make a cameo for a couple of uh, sides over in Europe. Now, just quickly before we let you go, um, earlier when you were mentioning about um, obviously how you've come up through the media ranks, of course, so we're doing the VFL women's competition this year, some uh, new yep. inductees, including uh, Neve Felton and Lucy Watkin joining us. We should point out that you actually also got your start in the VFL, a bit, a bit on the men's side, if I'm correct, as a boundary rider at 3WBC Box Hill. That's right. And before that, I was at the Eastern Football League um, and their media team doing boundary riding and um, and other things like that. And then, yeah, I uh, spent a lot of time with the Box Hill Hawks and um, the 3WBC commentary team that you know all too well as well, Pedro. So, that was very ordinary. Um, <laughs> no, you weren't. You were brilliant. And it was so much fun. We had such a great team um, in those days um, with Paul Hooper, who's been terrific as well and been a great support to me. Um so, yeah, and you've always got to start somewhere. And I did so much volunteer work when I was at uni, just whether it was the Eastern Football League or um, with the VFL coverage, just doing as much as I could to get as much experience and just basically throwing myself into into footy. And, yeah, we had a lot of fun as a commentary team. Um, good times. But, you know, sometimes some very, very cold times sitting on the boundary and some very wet times as well. And I'll let everyone know that she once did boundary riding in the grandstand <laughs> behind the commentary teams because they were drowned as rats in the first half. It was the worst day. It was so cold and it was just bucketing down. And, yes, I'm a little bit of a pansy and I didn't want to get completely wet. So I was huddled behind the commentators in the grandstand pretending to boundary ride from there. I, I think, think I did a good job anyway. I think the phrase cup of concrete might have been used at some stage. <laughs> yeah, fair <laughs> enough too. Well, well, Nat, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy. We wish you all the very best in the remaining games that you do have with the Wellers and, of course, your honeymoon throughout Europe. Thanks so much for having me on and best of luck throughout the year. We're just three months away from the start of the AFL International Cup in Melbourne. It kicks off on August 5th and for the women it ends on Saturday, August 19th with a grand final at Etihad Stadium. One of the teams hoping to be there at the big dance once more is the Irish Banshees. Now they won the International Cup in 2011 but were defeated by the Canadian Northern Lights in 2014. Since that loss, their next major tournament was the AFL European Championships where unfortunately again they went down in the final against the GB Swans and that's why I've got on the line the coach that's trying to redeem things and get their pride back at IC17, Pat Levy. Pat, thanks very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. Uh, I'm interested to know what was the psychology like of the players post that uh, loss last August against the GB Swans in London thinking that's two big finals now that they've gone down. How did you try and focus on trying to take some positives and turn it around for IC17 in August in Melbourne? Well, I think looking back to the final of the European Championship against GB where they beat us, uh, we found that for the team, because a lot of the players who were playing in London uh, for that tournament, it was their first experience of playing tournament footy. So they really learned a lot as to their game management, positioning on an oval, 
just how to see down a clock or when the clock is against you, how to move the game on a bit to try and force either the errors or get the scores that was required. So even though we we lost that game, which is very disappointing for some of the players or for all of the players, in fact, uh, we learned a lot from it. And I suppose we just kind of went away. We worked on some of the weaknesses that, that we had discovered in the team uh, in London. And then when we came around to the nine-a-side competition, the Euro Cup in Lisbon in October, we were lucky enough that we were able to turn that uh, defeat around and I suppose we find that in, in Europe at the minute everyone is kind of at a very even standard um, you know either we're kind of come back to basics where we're, we're regrouping and starting again and I suppose GB are kind of two three years down the road they start have their first competition in 2014 so between the two of us I suppose we're the, the leading lights as such but we've also great teams in Croatia, Sweden, France, Denmark, uh, the Crusaders who will actually be over the IC. So uh, we find that we're constantly learning and evolving and assisting other teams. So the benefit to the competition that we have here in Europe is that we help each other to to help ourselves. You know, so as we force each other to get better, and then we get better as a result. So I suppose in the over the winter period, we've been working both on our own and with uh, the GB Swans and the European Crusaders to try and develop the game in Europe. So that's our basic uh, kind of off-season. From that Euro Cup win, uh, even though it's a, a shorter nine-a-side format, uh, what positives could you take out of that uh, tournament victory? What do you felt you did right there that you can take going forward to August and IC17? I think... Definitely in the final, I suppose we've learned as a, as a management team uh, to take more chances. Sometimes maybe we're a little overcautious in London that we didn't throw caution to the wind earlier in the game. And that left us with just too much to do at the very end, even though we were kind of, we were the one score away the whole time, but we just couldn't get the ball into the danger zone. Where when it came to the Euro Cup in in Lisbon, when it got to the final, we were we took those chances earlier. We moved, made positional changes, moved stronger players into key positions as opposed to. I suppose we stopped worrying about conceding goals and instead just focused more on scoring goals, and that's what kind of drove us over the line at the very end. So since that Euro Cup win, of course, building up to we're going to have soon the uh, London Footy Carnival in May. Over that uh, period of seven or eight months, you're starting to announce team members for the Irish Banshees that will head to uh, Melbourne in August. What's the process been like? How have you been deciding on who you want to take and uh, et cetera, particularly with pre-season training, scratch matches, et cetera, to see who will make the cut? Yes, so I suppose we've had a core base of about 50 players in Ireland um, and then we've had a handful of anything up to 6 to 8, 10 players in the UK as well as our Australian based players. So for the Irish and UK based players, we were holding scratch matches throughout the winter. We have collective training sessions every two weeks and then in between the two sessions, uh, the players go off and play with either their Gaelic teams, which is quite strong here, the rugby, or have individual gym sessions and sessions with their personal trainers. So we've been very lucky that any of the players who have um, put themselves forward for selection for the Banshees have been able to get professional personal trainers who've sponsored them throughout the for the year and have managed to get free gym membership for their local gym. So it's kind of a community effort where we find that the local businesses are really getting behind their girls and especially with the increase in prominence in Australia of women's footy they can see that as a growing sport and especially when they know that a lot of Irish girls head over there 
throughout, you know, at some stage in their 20s that uh, they're more than happy to help out and try and develop their players so that at least when we're um, bringing over a, a national team that they're in their best possible shape. So per- predominantly this, it has been the generous support of local personal trainers for each of the individual players, the local gyms and then collective training sessions every two weeks where we just work on the skills and the more, I suppose, the rule specific aspects of the game. So we... Our aim is to ensure that any time we meet up collectively, that people are there to train. They're not coming there to get fit, and that's the way it has worked out for us. So throughout the winter period, we've, as I said, we have collectively had games. We've had training matches. We've had fitness tests. We've had a small AFL combine, and um, you know, it's, it's each one, each player. You can see how they've developed, improved, worked on their game over the period. Now, I suppose. We have been unlucky that we've lost one or two players through injury who were maybe one or two who were selected and now are no longer able to go. And that's just the nature of footy that you you have to worry about the players that you do have. It's unfortunate for those girls who are going to miss out, but we're very confident that the replacements we'll have coming in will be able to um, will be able to more than make up for those players that that we're missing. Obviously, during your winter uh, and obviously summer here in uh, Australia, February, March, we've had the AFLW competition. And one very notable player who finished sixth in the best and fairest for the Melbourne Football Club was Laura Jurea. How much has it meant to your recruitment and trying to capture the interest of women to play Aussie rules in Ireland, having someone like Laura star on the national stage? I think it has been a huge uh, boost to our game here in Ireland and, and even for anywhere outside of Australia to see the the Irish girls and that they're able to go into a foreign country, take up the national sport and succeed in the sport. And I suppose from looking at the games throughout the February and March, we thought that even she might have pushed up a little further than sixth, but that's probably us just looking with biased green tinted glasses. Um, but we're immensely proud of what she's achieved. Obviously, she's played for us in the IC11 and IC14, and she's been kind of a stellar performer for Diamond Creek over the last few years. So I think even just at the local level here, we've one of our players here, uh, Claire Cunningham, and she has a daughter, Kayla, who's traditionally she would have kind of head off to um, our training sessions and is in her mother's old North Geelong jersey. But uh, now she's obviously shouting for the demons and she's looking up and she can see oh there's Laura who played with my mum and any young girl can now see well if she can succeed I can succeed and that is proven to be a huge boost here and even for our older players our current banshees they've kind of they can look at her and see well you know there is an opening there if I put my head down and I work hard and I kind of develop to the best of my ability there is a chance to succeed and and I hope that Laura has proven to be a huge influence on all our players as well as all the players going to the IC, not just the Irish players. Coming up later in May, you have the London Footy Carnival. The Banshees are heading over to take on the G-Big Swans again, the uh, London All-Stars and the Canada Midnight Suns. That's Canada's development team. Uh, What's your theory going into this tournament? Are you wanting to take the strongest side to tune up for IC17 or is it more a case of uh, players are on the fringe that you really want to make the hard call on you want to see in this tournament before you make your final cut for August? Um, I think we'll do a mix of both. So generally, we will have certain other London-based players obviously want to link those back in with our current team that we have in Ireland. So the three or four players who are currently over there will be linking up with the Banshees. Then the 
the quality of the players that we're bringing over will be a variety of the girls who are going to the IC in Melbourne and then other girls who just were unfortunately not able to commit to the ICG to work for family reasons. And so we would hope that obviously for the girls who are not going to the IC that the London tournament will give them an opportunity to pick themselves against uh, the GB Swans and Canada and the All-Stars to see where they are in their in the kind of the running for any forthcoming Euro Cup at the end of 2017. So, and then for the girls who are travelling to Australia, it's kind of an ideal opportunity just for them to get more experience in the 18-a-side footy because obviously the league here in Ireland is not 18-a-side. We play anything from 9 to 14-a-side. So it's an opportunity for them to get used to those extra positioning uh, on the AF, on the Oval. And it's also an opportunity for them to just see how their game is progressing because I suppose it's very hard to determine exactly where you are compared to other teams unless you actually go out there and play against them. So it's, a, it's going to be a great opportunity. I know that uh, Mitch and Lisa and Jason Hill and all the guys in London have put in huge work as well as the Canadians coming over. Jason and Gareth have all kind of worked really hard to ensure that this tournament in London is going to be a great success. And it's all about the development of the game. It's it's one of these tournaments that it's great to have a footy festival, but it's not about winning. Everyone likes to win, but this is to do with development of the game throughout the Northern Hemisphere. And it's something that, you know, it's the first step in something that may develop into something huge going forward. So we're really excited about it. And I think our players are excited about it as well. Pat, we now live in the era of YouTube where there's a bunch of women's footy games put online and we're not just talking about AFLW. We know some of the London Women's League games are put online, uh, including some matches from Canada. And, of course, uh, the USAFL Nationals had all their women's games streamed online. Um, how much do you take from that as a coach and, I guess, for your players as well? Do you look at, do you study those other competitions to try and pick out the players that will be representing the other countries at IC17 to start planning how you're going to defeat them in Melbourne? Well, I think initially, maybe that's something that we will be doing closer to the time. At the minute, we're just focusing on our own players because if we don't go to Melbourne in the best possible condition that we can be in and have our own structures in place, then no matter how much we know about the opposition, we're not going to be in a position to beat them. So currently, we're focusing on our own players and trying to get them into their best possible shape. Uh, but as we say, going closer to the tournament, you know, you'll have your eye over other teams and you'll be saying, you know, this is really going to be a job here that you have to watch out for number 10 or whoever. And we can find that obviously Canada are coming in with a huge reputation into this. They are the team to beat. Uh, GB have progressed over the last couple of years and will be will surprise a lot of the teams down there. As well as New Zealand, I just from looking at the dish I do see on YouTube or on Facebook, they seem to have pulled together a really nice squad so even though we don't know what they're like they could have huge potential and might be a dark horse as well for the tournament so I think it's going into the IC I think from going back to when I was with the men's team generally you would find that most countries will, will bring a team that was good enough to win the previous IC but may not be good enough to win the IC that they're currently competing in and I would see that as as no different the, the squad that we would be bringing here would have been good enough to win the last IC but may not necessarily be good enough to win the current one but that doesn't mean that we're going to do everything we can to try and do that and I'm sure it's the same for all the other big teams. After the uh, London Footy Carnival, it's just uh, two and a bit months until the start of IC17 in Melbourne. What's your plan leading up to then and when do you expect to arrive in Melbourne? We expect 
tour, or so our plan between the two uh, tournaments is purely just to keep training. Obviously, we'll up the ante a bit in July. So some of our, we have one of the guys who's looking after the Australian best players, Tom Maddock, in his home in July. So he'll have collective training sessions here with the girls. Laura herself will be home in July. So we have one or two of the Australian best girls actually home in July. So they will just train with the team here. So that's kind of a great way to, to link in the two teams. Then we travel out to Melbourne on the 30th of July. Uh, we should arrive over there on the 1st of August. So we'll just kind of settle in for the week and kind of allow everyone to do some sightseeing and just relax, get over the jet lag. And then we'll just kind of ramp things up as we get, get closer to the weekend. So obviously it all kicks off on the, on the 5th for the teams and the games then on the Sunday. So it's going to be a really exciting period for everyone. And just quickly before we let you go, um, how do you feel about the announcement that uh, the women's grand final will be played on Saturday, August 19th um, as a doubleheader with the men's AFL game at Etihad Stadium? I think uh, it's going to be a huge boost for the women's game. As you can see for the AFLW games, you know, there were sellouts and they were turning away crowds. So we're hoping that for the, the IC grand final in the Etihad on that day that they're going to get the crowds down early, get the kids in to support the women. Um, definitely for our players, it's a huge boost to them to realise that they're going to play in a stadium like the Etihad. Like the Etihad is one of the finest of its kind, you know, a roofed stadium. It's, you can't get better. So I think it's really exciting for the players and for whatever two teams that do make the final, and hopefully that will be us. Uh, I think players are going to really perform, they're going to up their game and it will be a showcase, it will be a final that is really going to highlight how good women's footy is across the world and how it has come on over the last few years and I think that the two finalists will do the game proud and uh, will justify the AFL's decision to host them on such a big ground. Well, Pat, thank you very much for joining us here on Girls Play Footy and we wish you all the very best in the upcoming London Carnival and of course IC17 in Melbourne in August. That's great. Thank you. Now, at the top of the program, we talked about the VFL Women's Competition, which is kicking off uh, this weekend, Saturday, May 6th, Sunday, May 7th. But another important competition is kicking off, but it's not here in Australia. It's the AFL London Women's League. And boy, is that league been growing. From just three years ago, with two sides and an exhibition match, they went to a four-team league. The next year, they made the big step, where unlike in other parts of the world outside of Australia, where it might only be nine or 12 a side, they had a four-team competition fielding 18 aside in a regular competition each week. Now, this year for the 2017 season, there's going to be two divisions of women's teams, four playing in their Premier Conference, fielding 18 aside, including the reigning Premiers, the Wimbledon Hawks, Wandsworth Demons, North London Lions and South East London Giants, and also a new conference division with Wandsworth Demons actually fielding a reserves team, We've also got the Puntney Magpies, the London Swans, and a special guest on the line from this team, the West London Wildcats. It's great to have with us Adele McCormack. Adele, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. Now, I have to ask the question, how's it felt, this build-up to your inaugural season for the women's team of the West London Wildcats in the AFL London Women's Competition? Um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. I started this venture back in um, October 2016 with the um, at the Wildcats AGM when we decided that we'd um, field a women's team this year. And um, I was quite new to London. I didn't know anyone, and there were doubts. I was thinking, oh, how am I going to find all these players to uh, to field a team? But um, we've got quite a big social network over here, so a lot of um, a lot of the team came through our Facebook posts. 
Um, there's a fantastic page, Aussies in London. So, um, and the Wildcats are quite a big, big club over here, and have been here for many years. So, a lot of the guys back home have put their friends in touch, um, and yeah, just just following up all those leads um, across um, October, November, December, January, and then and come um, the eighth of January, we had our first training season or tra- training session. Uh, we had six girls turn up, which was <laughs> a little bit exciting, very small. But I know um, some of the other clubs, when they first started, you know, they only had eight players as the season was starting. So we are pretty happy with six turning up on, on that first session. And how important is it to be part of a big club like the Wildcats? Um, considering as well, on the men's side, they've been very successful and won the uh, Euro Champions League uh, three years in a row. They have, yeah. It's pretty exciting. It's such a great club. Um, you know, it's quite big. We also have a, a netball arm as well. So... You know, we're looking at 250, 300 members. So the support's been great from the women's team. Um, our, one of our co-presidents, Chad Selinger, you know, he's been amazing and just full-on supporting. We To start with, obviously, we didn't have a coach. So, you know, he'd come down on Sundays and we started right from scratch teaching the girls how to handball, uh, kicking style, because all of our players have never played before. So we've got a, an amazing team of girls that know footy because they're obviously from Australia. Um, with no real skills other than netball skills. Um, and, yeah, to see them um, progress from uh, when we started on the 8th of January until what we saw in the pre-season cup last Saturday was um, unbelievable. Of course, uh, back, I believe, in February, there was the uh, AFL London Women's uh, Tryout Day, which I think about 40 or 50 women showed up to. Were you able to gain any new recruits out of that tryout session? Yeah, we did. So AFL London, they did a um, ran a fantastic taster session on the 11th of February, and um, the weather wasn't really for us. But um, yeah, we did actually um, get two girls out of that. One, um, a girl called Shay, an Australian girl, and actually another um, a Scottish girl. Um, so we don't actually have many English or other players, but um, so we gained uh, Katrina, a Scottish girl, who's actually um, just been named on the England Touch Footy. Footy team, so we're pretty excited to have her. Um, and so yeah, we, we got two players out of that, which was great. I suppose one of the other the turning points for it was um, January when we uh, scored our coach Ben Beeston. That was um, totally unexpected, and um, it was a great Australia Day for us because we're all out, and he turned up, and uh, at the end of the night, he was coach of the women's team. <laughs> Don't you love that? A good old-fashioned Australia Day. Let's go out. Let's get on the drink. You have enough beers to go, ah, what the hell? I'm coaching a team. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly how it happened. Alcohol, <laughs> the best recruiting tool there is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's just been fantastic to the club. And the way he set up the, um, the the training structures and, you know, taking them from the handballing, the kicking. And, you know, we didn't play any games or kind of, you know, half sides probably until um, – you know, quite towards the end of February and just the way that has occurred and put it in place, the girls are actually quite, um, have got the knack of, of the game plan and um, of everything that he's taught us has just fallen into place last weekend. So it's uh, pretty exciting. As you said, you started originally with six and you picked up two from the taster session. What's the squad currently looking like at the moment? Yeah, so um, now we actually have um, 26 players on our list, which is um, just amazing. Like we, when we set this um, up back in October, we put a structure in place, and the aim with that structure was to have um, 20 girls signed by our pre-season match that we uh, organised with the London Swans in um, February. So, oh, sorry, on the 8th of April. 
Um, so by that time we had, I think we had 18 players and um, yeah, now we've got 26 and um, yeah, it's just fantastic. Now, of course, you're playing uh, in the conference division. Uh, what's the thinking behind that with numbers? Because they were talking at one stage maybe 12 aside, um, trying to obviously find the right balance uh, for each team, considering, I guess, the, the amount of recruits that sign up. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, I suppose it is one of the issues when you've got, um, uh, you know, for example, a club like the Demons have got 70 players on their list um, and, you know, putting the second team in and then you've got uh, the smaller sides like, I suppose, Putney and the Swans that um, will probably be aiming to have, you know, 15 and then we're probably in the middle of both of those with the 26. But um, so it's basically the minimum is uh, nine aside. And what we do each week is um, coordinate between the two clubs how many players we're going to play um, that weekend and, and go from there. And look, it's, it's great. Like during the pre-season cup, the um, uh, the smaller teams, there were players from other clubs that will um, fill in and help them out. And same when we had our, our match against the um, the Swans, there was um, some demons that helped out to fill their numbers. So it's quite, um, it's very well supported, women's football here in London. Um, and the other clubs do help out. So, yeah, no, it's just a matter of organising between the other club, What, how many numbers you're going to have. How surprised were you to sneak into the semi-finals during the uh, pre-season cup? Your first competitive hit out for the Wildcats. <laughs> it was. It was a very exciting day. We um, we did win our all three games in our um, round and ended up um, playing Great Britain in the semi-finals. But the girls just played fantastically. For never having played... Um, women's footy before to put everything that Ben had taught us, you know, in the lead up. And the girls have trained quite hard, like, you know, trained two hours on a Sunday and we trained Tuesdays and we trained Thursdays and they just put everything into place, um, you know, so well. Um, but, but the learnings they got out of it, um, you know, certain rules because, you know, we're not all, I suppose, savvy with the rules at the moment, but they, um, just the learnings they got out of it. And then to go on and then play a team like Great Britain in the semi-finals with three or four years experience under their belt was, um, and you know, and they beat us quite, you know, um, I suppose quite easily. But um, we, the girls just gained so much from that experience. They could see how strong they were with their bodies and how they how they were with the ball and, and their skills. Their skills were just um, really great. So it was just such a fantastic experience and, and sets us up really well going into round one next week. Okay, Adele, time for you to name names. Who do you felt uh, went well in the uh, pre-season cup? Uh, well, we, we do have um, a bit of a superstar in our team with uh, Jesse Humble. Um, Jesse has come to us, hasn't played footy before, has brothers, but she did play soccer with the Melbourne Vixen, so she's a bit of a standout for us at the moment. Um, we have another player who wasn't there that week, Bali Toby. She's played a few games before. She's great for us. Um, we have an amazing rut girl, Christina Palambaris, who just does a super job in there for us. Um, Emily Burke in the midfield. Um, and our back line, the girls across the back line, were just really, really great. So I think all round we've got, um, we've got some really good players. And of course, that have come from, from beginner players. And, of course, you're heading into uh, this Saturday the first game against the Wandsworth Demons. What are the expectations coming up against the Wandsworth Reserve side? Um, yeah, well, actually, funnily enough, so we, we haven't actually um, seen the um, Demons Reserve side. All we've seen is um, probably four of their players that came to us to um, play against, with the Swans against us on the 
they pull other eights. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they, um, what they're like. We really don't have any idea, but you know they've they've probably got a little bit of um, football under their belt. Um, they're quite they were quite tall. We're not an overly tall side. We have quite a lot of um, speedsters, so um, it'll be um, it'll be really good to see um, to see how it all works out. And what support have you had from the men uh, coming into uh, this season? Uh, particularly, not only just putting aside on the park, as you said, you've managed to get a coach, but obviously people to help out from running the boundary, goals, to running water, whatever it might be behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. No, the guys have been just fantastic. And, um, you know, through the pre-season, three or four of them, been at, um, they just come to training early now because we train before the guys. Uh, they'll help out when we're doing drills. It just helps Ben having extra hands there. Our assistant coach, um, Glenn Ells, he's just um, wonderful with the girls as well. Um, and as far as um, support, like last weekend, the guys are all there cheering us on. Um, and we will just fit seamlessly into their um, uh, their Saturday routine. And, you know, they just there's just an extra team that we need to find umpires for, goal umpires for. So, yeah, no, the guys have been fantastic. Well, Adele, thank you very much for joining us here on uh, Girls Play Footy and we wish you all the very best uh, this weekend up against the Wandsworth Demon Reserves and then throughout the remainder of the 2017 AFL London Women's League Conference Division. Excellent. Thanks, Peter. And if you want more information about the AFL uh, London Women's Competition, it's very simple. Just go to Facebook and uh, punch in AFL London Women's League. It's simple as that, and uh, you'll find a growing competition. I know a lot of Aussie expats are over there in London. Tell them, get onto it. The AFL London Women's League, it's certainly going places. Time to do our State League wrap. We're starting off with a preview of the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition that kicks off this weekend. Round one action, three games on the Saturday, two on the Sunday, all Saturday games starting at 2pm. First of all, at Simmons Stadium in Geelong, this is part of a doubleheader with the VFL men's, the Geelong Cats making their debut, hosting another debutante, the Box Hill Hawks, should be a ripping game, 2pm start, free entry if you get along at halftime of the men's game, so that's probably roughly around 12.30, 1 o'clock. If you can't get there, that game is also being streamed on the VFL website. Uh, 2pm Saturday, Frankenhome Ovals in Cranbourne, uh, it's Cranbourne hosting the VU Western Spurs. Now, as much as the Spurs finished higher on the ladder last year, Cranbourne did cause an upset and knocked them off late last season. So that could be a very interesting game. Also, 2 p.m. Saturday, our RSN Carnival match of the day. That's right, here at Live on RSN Carnival, Bill Laurie Oval, Northcote, the grand final rematch, Darabin versus Melbourne Uni. It's going to be a cracker. Plenty of AFLW talent to watch. Uh, if you can, get along there to Northcote's Bill Laurie Oval. Sunday, our game of the day, 2 p.m., Mulgrave Reserve, Eastern Devils hosting the St Kilda Sharks. Those sides finished fourth and third, respectively, on the table, so expect a very close contest. And the new recruit making her debutante for the Eastern Devils is Collingwood Ruck and Marquee Emma King. The final game of the round, 3 p.m., RF Miles Recreation Reserve in Seaford. It's the Seaford Tigerettes hosting Diamond Creek. And I can tell you it's going to be a pretty big day out there at Seaford. They've actually got four matches back-to-back starting from 9 o'clock in the morning because this year, 
It's crazy, it seems. Seaford is fielding four sides. They've had 100 women registered with their club. Huge growth there. So if you're down that way in the peninsula, get along to RF Miles Reserve in Seaford. Sunday is the day. Time to focus on what's happening in the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. I've got our reporter on the line, Lauren Hodgson. Lauren, thank you very much for joining us. Close game last week between the Auburn Penrith Giants and the Newtown Breakaways. I think before the start of the season, no one would have predicted it, but it turned out to be an absolute cracker. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Look, I mean, as expected, and I think we spoke about it last week, we always thought it was going to be a close encounter. Um, I I predicted that Newtown would win, so definitely wrong on that count. But um, look, the scores were close throughout the duration of the match, and the breakaways were actually head on the scoreboard at every bake. That break, sorry, but after a strong last quarter from the Giants, um, where they kicked three one to one goal, uh, they really just overran the breakaways in the end. So, I mean, look, both teams had some stars up forward. Uh, with five goals, Melissa Bryden was dominant for the Giants, and Grace Fowler for the breakaways also had a fantastic game up front, kicking four goals. So the loss still sees the breakaways. Uh, searching for their first one of the season, which, as you mentioned, I think would be uh, unexpected to many followers of women's football in Sydney. That final result, 10-3-63 to 8-6-54. The Giants knocking over the uh, breakaways. Let's go to another game, uh, not quite as close. Uh, your Southern Power uh, easily accounting for the Western Wolves. Yeah, I mean, look, it was a... Um Obviously a bigger margin than I think some people maybe would have predicted. Um, I myself thought it would have been a, a bit of a closer game. Um, the power really dominated, um, led by their captain, Catherine Hull, who was best on ground, um, and her defensive pressure and second efforts all game were second to none. Uh, McClure and Lotta were again a great pairing up forward for the power, combining for six goals. Um, we saw Lindsay Fortner um, for West compete well in, in the ruck all day and also um, Melissa Freckleton was again amongst their best and uh, look, perhaps some inaccurate kicking um, cost power a bit of percentage points on the scoreboard as well. Let's go across to the next game. Uh, that was the Sydney Uni Bombers and the UNSW Stingrays, the grand final replay and according to the scorecard it delivered. Oh, look, it certainly did, Peter. I mean, the match definitely lived up to its hype as match of the round. Um, I think all followers of female footy um, were really excited to see these teams go head-to-head. Um, and it finished with a three-point victory to the Bombers. So the Stingrays started quite strongly with the three-goal first quarter, and it took until the third quarter for the Bombers to get their first goal. And with only a four-point margin separating the teams at the final break, the stage really was set for a cracking finish. Uh, the Stingrays kicked one goal to Sydney Uni's two goals, one in the last quarter. And with the Bombers' last goals, kicked by Meg Haynes, going through the big sticks with just uh, 19 seconds left on the clock. So a fantastic finish there and a, a really close game by our um, probably our two uh, flag favourites in the Bombers and the Stingrays there, Peter. A heart stopper, 19 seconds and you kick a goal. That's leaving one right to the last moment. Yeah, well, it's certainly are leaving people on the edge of their seats, isn't it? Well, the Stingrays, well, certainly felt the sting there. They'll be disappointed, won't they, with that with that uh, third quarter not being able to add anything to the scoreboard. The Bombers not only getting two goals, but also managing to apply the breaks. 
Yeah, I mean, look, you're always going to be disappointed any time any time you get a loss. Um, and, you know, it, it does seem to be all that more heartbreaking when it is such a close game. Um, and, you know, when you're talking about uh, scores changing within the last minute, um, that sort of, I suppose, will, will add to the pain of the loss. But I'm sure that East, or UNSW East will bounce back and uh, have a strong game next week. Okay, let's go across to uh, our last game of the AFL Sydney Round 4. This was uh, Macquarie University taking on the UTS Shamrocks. Yeah, so Mac Uni had a, a very good win against UTS. Uh, and so after four rounds, the Shamrocks are still searching for their first win. Uh, the Warriors started strongly with a 19.1 first quarter. However, the Shamrocks came back quite well in the second quarter and outscored the Warriors two goals to one goal one. And we're only down by 13 points at the major break, so it looks like we're in for a really uh, close game in the second half. However, the Warriors came out strongly in the third quarter, kicking four goals to one, and uh, ended up recording a strong win over the Shamrocks. We saw Aslan Albury uh, for the Warriors kicking four goals up front, uh, whilst Julian Behan... Uh, for the Shamrocks, uh, she kicked two of their three goals. So um, some good performances again there we see from uh, the forwards of both teams. And I guess for the Shamrocks, something to take away from that game, as you said, they outscored in the second quarter. They only uh, lost one point to zero in the in, in the final terms. So there may be a suggestion of, of wind advantage, but they've been able to match it against a side that's been up in Premier Division for a while. And for them making the step up this year, that's some positive signs. Oh, look, it's, it's definitely a positive sign. Um, and it's, I suppose, a cliche, but it's just a matter, you know, a matter of putting together, um, you know, a good half and four quarters. Um, but yeah, they're definitely, I mean, as you said, those, those two quarters where they outscored, uh, the Warriors definitely showed that they're, um, you know, in, in the right, in the right, uh, competition and, uh, are going to be competitive. Okay, let's have a look ahead of the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division and go to uh, round five. Uh, we were just speaking of the Shamrocks. Uh, they'll be hosting your Southern Power 10.30am on Saturday. Yeah, look, I think uh, most people will expect Power to repeat their round one performance with the win over the Shamrocks. And uh, unfortunately for the Shamrocks, I think most people would expect they'll just have to wait that at least that other week uh, to get their first win on the board. Stingrays hosting the Western Wolves, 12.30pm Saturday at Henson Park. Yeah, look, the Stingrays aren't going to like losing um, and we'll look to get back on the winner's list uh, with a big win over West. Sydney Uni Bombers host the Auburn Penrith Giants, 2pm at Sydney Uni's uh, Oval Number 1. Yeah, look, I saw the team our fellow premiership contenders, the Stingrays. I'd really be expecting the Bombers to put another uh, big win on the board against the uh, always improving Auburn Penrith Giants. And possibly the closest game of the round, uh, Macquarie University and Newtown Breakaways, 3pm at Mac Uni Oval. I definitely agree with you there. I think it's probably going to be one of the closest uh, games of the round, if not the closest. Um, look, the Warriors are tough to beat at home, and having got back their Giants listed plays over the last couple of weeks, I think they're going to continue on their winning streak this week with the win over the breakaways. Lauren, thank you very much for your report, and we look forward to catching up with you next week to talk more AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Let's head across to the ACT and the AFL Canberra competition, and uh, last weekend's results for Round 3. Eastlake Demons 9-13-67 defeated the Mongolo Juggernauts 1 Riverina Lions 8-5-53 defeating the Tuggeranong Hawks 2-2-14. Balcon and Magpies, wow, they whacked the Kudamundra Blues 
win to 19, 211 to 0. And uh, the ANU Griffins, 88-56, defeated the Ainsley Tricolors for 226. This week's round of matches in AFL Canberra for round 4C, the East Lake Demons host the Riverina Lions Saturday, 9.45 at the UNSW Canberra Oval. 10 a.m. Saturday at Allensure Park, Quimbian Tigers host Hugren on Hawks. 10 a.m. Saturday, Sterling 101, we see in the Mongolo Juggernauts host the Ainsley Tricolors. And 10 a.m. Sunday at South Oval, the ANU Griffins host the Gungahlin Jets, Balconnen having the bye in this round. Let's skip up to the Bond University Queensland Women's Australian Football League round four results. Close one where Wilston Grange got over Cullen Gatta Tweed, the reigning premiers. What a boil over. 9-8-62 to 6-5-41. Yoronga South Brisbane, oh boy, they took care of the UQ Lions. 17-11-113 to 2-3-15. And I don't think anyone saw this coming and it probably shows some signs that uh, there's some worries down there at the Zilmiri Eagles. They didn't get on the scoreboard. Maruchidor Ruse got their first ever win when they polled on 26-13-169. I think that's a day the Zilmiri Eagles would like to forget pretty quickly. Cooperu Kings having the bye. The fixture for this week, round five, sees the Maruchidor go up against the reigning premiers, Kulangata Tweed, 4.45pm Saturday at the Maruchidor Multisports Complex. 4.45pm on Saturday, the UQ Red Lions host Wilston Grange at UQ Oval 9. And 6.30pm on Saturday, Corporu hosts Elmiri Eagles at Giffen Park. Uh, the Yonga South Brisbane Devils having the bye. Let's go across the WAWFL where South Fremantle 3-1-19 were defeated by the Coastal Titans 12-14-86. The Perth Angels 17-12-114 easily accounted for East Perth 1 straight 6. East Fremantle 9-12-66 defeated the Peel Thunderbirds 3-3-21. And Swan Districts 7-12-54 accounted for Claremont 1-4-10. Round 5 fixtures in the WAWFL all being played on Sunday. All 2pm starts. East Perth host South Fremantle at Altone Park. Uh, East Fremantle hosts the Coastal Titans at East Fremantle Oval. Claremont hosts West Perth at HBF Arena. And Swan Districts hosts the Pilt Thunderbirds at Still Blue Oval with the Angels having the bye. The Tasmanian State League women's competition kicked off last week and a close one between uh, the Magpies and the Dockers where Glenorchy 4-8-32 defeated Bernie 4-4-28. And in the other game, Clarence 2-6-18 just got over Launceston 1-2-8. Tigers having the bye. The fixture for round two on Saturday sees Glenorchy host the Tigers Football Club 11.30am at KGV and on Sunday at 12pm Clarence hosts the Bernie Dockers and the Grand Final Replay at Jelston Bay Oval Launceston having the bye. That wraps up the state leagues for this week and that wraps up yet another Girls Play Footy program. Before I go again that reminder you can hear Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Football this Saturday, May 6th and Sunday, May 7th from 1pm right here on RSN Carnival digital radio and of course on the RSN app just click on Carnival we've got Darabin and Melbourne Uni Saturday Sunday Eastern Devils and the St Kilda Sharks until next time I've been Peter Holden thanks for your company and it's bye for now